Hello, friends, and welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, a best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. And I created the U-Turn book and the podcast as a place to help you connect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week, I want to bring a guest on with the intention of helping you expand what's possible for you, both in your confidence, whether it's in work or love, and just in life in general. So let's get into this week's episode. Okay, U-Turn friends, I'm so excited to bring you Susan Barish. She is a leading gender expert and a best-selling author um, of a book called A Passion for More, Affairs That Make Us or Break Us. Um, and she also has a new podcast with iHeartRadio called She Wants More, which I'm so excited about. And today I want to talk to her about what she is so good at sharing, which is the different types of affairs, why people have an affairs, how frequent they are, which by the way, she shared some statistics and 70% of women, and I've heard this statistic before, will engage in an affair at some point in their marriages or their committed relationships. So, I mean, it is staggering how many people have a passion for more, have a thirst for more. And that's why we're going to talk about her book and her podcast and all of these things. Um, thank you so much for making the time to come on, Susan. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. And I I just looked and you have so many books you've written. It's incredible. As someone who wrote one book, I feel like I have nothing left inside of my brain (laughs) right now. So I'm so impressed. I also saw that you have written some fiction books about Palm Beach and I just moved to Palm Beach. So I'm curious if you're here. Are you, I was, oh, I wish we could have met in person. I was there for the, from February 1st till this past Tuesday. Oh, how fun. Do you spend time here throughout the year? I'm sorry. Do you spend a lot of time here throughout the year? Yeah. My parents were residents for decades and I grew up going there my whole life. I know Palm Beach really well. So yeah. Perfect. Well, if you know any spiritual, amazing women, let me know because I'm making new friends right now and I have so many friends in so many cities and zero here. And I'm like the third wheel in my brother's marriage right now. And he lives two blocks away and I'm just like, okay, it's time for some women that are amazing. But anyhow, get in touch after this. Absolutely. Cool. And, um, okay. So I'm really excited about your book because I feel like affairs are happening. They are, looked at with distaste, but the reality is they're happening so frequently. The majority of relationships are facing them, whether they know it or not. So tell me a little bit about why you ended up focusing on this. Um, And yeah, like what it was like for you to be writing this book. What are some of the biggest takeaways that you, you really want people to have from it? My friend, are you ready to stay hydrated this summer? I have something for you, grapefruit salt from Element. It's L-M-N-T, because healthy hydration isn't just about drinking water, it's about water and electrolytes. It makes sense. You lose both water and sodium when you sweat, and both of those need to be replaced to prevent muscle cramps, headaches, energy dips throughout the day. But most people, 
only replace the water. So why is that? Well, since the 1940s, we've been told to drink eight glasses of water per day, thirsty or not. But drinking beyond your thirst is a bad idea. It actually dilutes your blood electrolyte levels, especially sodium, which leads to headaches, low energy, cramps, confusion, or worse. So this low sodium situation called hyponatremia is super common among endurance athletes, and the solution is not to stop drinking water either. It's to drink water with electrolytes. That is where LMNT, my favorite brand for electrolytes, has you covered. So former research biochemist Rob Wolf and KetoGains co-founder Louis Villasenor formulated Element to provide the optimal ratios of sodium, potassium, and magnesium for health, performance, and energy. They also formulated Element to please your palate. It tastes so good. Try orange salt, citrus salt, watermelon salt, or you can experiment with five other flavors like this summer's grapefruit. I even like to put Element's chocolate flavor into my coffee in the morning sometimes. So Element just gave us a really fun offer. All you have to go do is head on over to drinkelement.com slash Ashley Stahl. That's D-R-I-N-K. L-M-N-T dot com slash A-S-H-L-E-Y S-T-A-H-L to receive a free sample pack of every flavor with your first purchase. My personal favorite is the watermelon and the lime. Again, that's drinkelement.com slash Ashley Stahl. Your salty little summer starts now. Well, this is a 30-year study and it was the very first book that I wrote and I think it's not only evergreen, but has more significance now than ever before. Because for the, I started the research when I was a very young writer, and it was my first book that came out. And I kept hearing of these affairs where, you know, women, female infidelity, women were conducting affairs and keeping them very quiet, which women are good at doing mostly because they had so much at stake <clears throat> and yet they were convention bound women who embarked on the affairs. So I looked at it for these 30 years and this is the updated and revised edition with some spectacular COVID affairs, oh, wow. cyber, cyberspace affairs and that really had a lot of meaning for the women during that tough time. And also the idea that in the last three to five years, younger women and older women were getting in touch with me for my anonymous, these are anonymous interviews. So there, you know, if your name is Kathleen, we change your name. If mm. you live in Palm Beach, we'll put you somewhere else. Mm. But the point is, is that the experience itself is authentic and not, you know, in any way changing identification, but women today feel more entitled than ever before to have an affair. And mm. that's really striking. What do you think it is about? I mean, the word entitled really stands out. Um, and I have to ask before I even dive in more about affairs, have you watched the new show on Netflix, Sex Life by chance? And and, and I've been hearing a lot about that because of this. Yeah. This yeah. book. I, I mean, look, you said it was taboo a few minutes ago, it's really been taboo in a very patriarchal culture. It's really been taboo for women and women we know historically were punished. I mean, think of, um, 
you know, Anna Karenina, who jumped in front of a train, or, you know, of course, the novel was written by a man, but okay, or Madame um, Bovary, when she drinks the poison after her affairs. And what's so, so interesting is, in real time, in contemporary society, women are saying something very different. They're mm -hmm. saying, you know, I don't have what I want in this longstanding monogamous relationship or marriage. And my lover is very different from the primary partner or husband. And that's how I get what I need. I actually and saw your data that said 78% of your, you know, in your study that you did in your research, 78% say their lover is the opposite of their husband and partner, which makes sense. We're multifaceted beings and we probably want what we're not having because there's this sense of creativity or rejuvenation through experiencing something so different. Um, tell me more. Well, this is the, the, if the interviews in this book um, are really among a diverse group of women. So in terms of age, as I mentioned, race, ethnicity, level of education, social strata, where they live in the country from, you know, big cities to small towns to everything in between, the, the women are really reporting this longing and this kind of self-care or this journey that they're on. Mm -hmm. So they really are very capable of balancing in a very busy life, the affair and, you know, the marriage or relationship, in many cases, children. Mm -hmm. And I'm always asked, well, would these women leave the their marriages and only 35% of the women in my study end up with the lover. And of course, a lover to a husband or a monogamous partner is like apples to oranges. So, you know, it's not so exciting or romantic anymore when you're in real time in every way. But about it's close to 50-50 in terms of who stays and who goes. This is so interesting. And also, Kind of going on to that show, Sex Life, I'm glad that that's bringing attention to what you're doing in some way or creating some engagement. Um, and I'm excited you watched it because it really struck me. First of all, um, I, I totally have no judgment on the fact that it's basically softcore porn, um, which is fine. It's not my <laughs> preferred genre necessarily, but I know that they do super well. Um, I feel myself fast forwarding through some of the sex scenes because I'm like, I want to know what happens and we got to get over this scene. But like point being... What struck me was there's a lot of shame and fault on the woman in the show, and there wasn't enough of a narrative about her alleged perfect husband who wasn't listening to her, wasn't paying attention to her. They would have sex, and she would say, can you slow down? And she looked like she was really uncomfortable, and he wouldn't listen. She would want his attention. He was watching TV. So there wasn't enough focus on that. It seemed like there was just a big narrative on the woman and how she was kind of shamed in the show for being in the wrong when she had a quote unquote perfect partner. Um, and this all brings up the question. And, and then you have the ex phantom ex, which I really want to ask you about, um, which is like that ex that you never got over or that you start fantasizing about in your marriage or your relationship. Um, I have a tumultuous ex who we had the deepest connection ever, but he was mentally unwell. He was diagnosed with a couple of things that he didn't decide to take action on. And because of that, he's just not as well as he could be, let alone to be in a relationship with somebody that he can really show up. Um, and even for myself, it took a while to really let go of those thoughts about him and that missing and that depth. So 
I'm curious, what what would message would you have to share after doing all of this research to women who have that ex they can't let go of? How do they make sense of that? Um, yeah. And what do they do when they start thinking about having an affair? What is your take on that? Well, first of all, in terms of the ex, um, you know, we mentioned uh, to segue just a moment from your question. So this book has um, four different types of affairs that I've identified. And what I think you're mentioning in in terms of your ex and other women and their exes is often the love affair section of the book. So let me talk about the sections, then we'll talk about Yeah. So um, for, for the empowering affairs, which is one type, we're talking about women really like journeying through their lives very much as men have historically been able to do. So they go on business trips, they earn their own money, they can have a boy toy on the side, they can have a lover who means more than that. But the point is, is that they're trading in the same currency as for many, many years men have. And that's really a kind of new and evolving way to have an affair. And then we have the love affair, which is sort of what you mentioned in the sense that you never quite got over that old flame. Could it be at the workplace? Could it be a high school boyfriend? Could it be just a failed love? And then you reconnect. And of course, we can connect in so many ways now. Our cell phones are practically private phones. We can be with our husbands texting with a lover. Um, you can go online and find anyone. And then there, there's the actual reunion or you know, you're back at, with friends from the old job and there he is, he still works there. So, and then of course, the other scenario that women described is when everything's fine, things are good enough, which is plenty good with your husband or, you know, longstanding partner and your family and your life. And you literally walk into a room and there is that lover, the, the future lover across the room. And that is just really a thunderbolt takes you into a different plane. Mm. So in, in these cases, um, you know, they're very triangulated with the love affairs. If you're still longing for the old flame and he somehow shows up again, what to do? Some women say, I'm sorry. And they're of course not in this book or this study. Um, I'm fine. I'm here. That was then this is now. And other women take the risk for the reward and they see the old lover and they end up, you know, in a very complicated of all the, of the four types of affairs, the love affair is the most complex because it's all about emotion as well as the physical stuff. Mm. And that brings us to our next type, which is the sex driven affair. And that again, as with the empowering affair is reflective of a kind of male behavior that's always been, you know, at least, at least it earns tacit approval. So, you know, women in our culture have been taught for decades, well, just look the other way. If your husband or your partner was on a business trip and maybe something happened. So women are now saying, I just want the sex, don't want any emotional connection. And if it gets too emotional or the affair gets too complicated, they move on to the next lover. Okay. So I have a question about the sex driven affairs. Like, is there a way to patch that hole in a marriage before it happens? Or do you think that 
when you look at the circumstances of the women that you researched, that these were kind of inevitable, regardless of the sex they were having in their marriage. Like, I think when you think about a, you know, sex driven affair, what comes to mind for me is like, oh, is her, is her sex really not good with her partner? Mm -hmm. Is it non-existent? Um, so just curious on what your assessment is on that. My friend, are you ready to launch your own podcast? Now more than ever is the time to start. Since I launched the U-Turn podcast in 2018, I've grown this show to hit the top charts, and we've even been so grateful to bring in over six figures in sponsorship deals nearly every year. And we have amazing conversations with top leaders and experts, as you know, and I just can't believe to this day that I get to have this much fun and that the show gets to support my business with sponsors we love that we get to share with you about. I'm so enamored by the fact that I get to have this much fun and impact while being paid to do it. And I want the same for you. So if the idea of you doing the same, creating a podcast, monetizing it and making an impact feels exciting, and expansive, you're in the right place. And I want to share with you that my podcast launch course is coming. But in the meantime, I wanted to give you a complimentary, very detailed launch checklist filled with prompting questions to get you clear on your show, tactical action items, and everything else that you don't forget anything, as well as the creative ideas to market and launch with impact. So what I have here is more than just a free checklist. It's the beginning of your future as a fellow podcaster. I really want this for you if you have the inspiration I did. So head on over to ashleystall.com slash checklist, and you can get this tool that's totally free. Again, that's ashleystall.com slash checklist for my free checklist to start your podcast and launch with love. Yes, I think that for many women, the sex isn't adventurous enough, particularly, I mean, in the, my latest interviews, women are saying, you know, the sex doesn't really work in this marriage and it's not exciting enough. And I want that. And so I'm willing to find a lover and it's pretty easy to find them. Mm -hmm. And they, and so it really is a compartmentalized experience, you know. You're still the good wife, maybe the good mother, and then you have this affair and mm. it's all about sex. Okay. And I'm guessing that there's an after effect that happens once the indulgence, you know, takes place, um, or I guess lack of a better term, maybe it's not indulgence. It's just an affair that they chose to do. Um, are you seeing after the affair more damage? Or are you actually seeing relief in their marriage if they didn't share it with their husband, but now they're better off because of it? The only women who have ever really shared the affair, women don't get caught. Men get caught a lot historically. But the women are so, and this really goes to how multifaceted women are and how capable we are, you know, as a survival mechanism. The women do not get discovered. And usually what they do is they take the affair and they renegotiate the marriage or the relationship if they want to. And that's the only way that their husband or partner knows about it. And th this is a rather new thing, too, where women will say, look, I had this affair, but I want us to have better sex or I want us to be more emotional or the affair has taught me what I can and can't have. And now I want us to work on it. So that really is the way that women 
confide the affair and use it for the greater good. Okay, so I was looking at some of the statistics um, also that you provided just around how 65% of people you interviewed reported the sex is better with their lover, which obviously isn't going to be a huge surprise, especially based on some of the templates of affairs. Um, But with only 35% of women ending up with their lover, I'm curious if you have any information on divorce. Like, you know, I imagine that there's a lot of women that come to their husband and say, or or their partner, you know, um, and say, hey, I, I had an affair. This is what I took from it. This is what I want to bring to our marriage. And obviously there's going to be some disruption from that conversation. But do you do you see any sort of bias towards um, husbands wanting to work it out versus not um, versus women who get cheated on? You know, do they want to leave more than men? Anything around who tends to want to leave more after finding out that information? There aren't that many revenge affairs in my study. Okay where, you know, the husband is having an affair. So the woman says, well, you know what, why not? Yeah. I, I might as well, you know, do this to look at what he's done to me. That happens, but it's not really a very big part of this story. So what I'm really hearing from women is this lover has shown me what I can or cannot have in this marriage. And, and that actually brings me to one other category. This is the last category. It's called the self-esteem affair. And the reason it's important to mention is that women of all ages are reporting that they feel almost invisible with their partners mm. and husbands. And so the lover makes them feel heard and seen. Mm. And so that really is reflective of what goes on in day-to-day life. You know, the mundane sets in, you talk about, I don't know, mortgage payments and wayward children and, you know, a broken garage door. And with the lover, it's all very exciting. It's really an escape. Yeah. And are there any indicators early into a marriage or even early into dating that you found when you were talking to these women that they kind of looked back in retrospect and said, this gap was so big in my marriage. I really just shouldn't have married this person. Like what information are you finding around kind of preventing this from happening if a woman kind of is listening, thinking, well, I hope. I don't have to go through that sort of conversation or those sorts of feelings um, because there's a lot of pain there too. When they describe, when the women describe the lover as a wake-up call for not only the relationship they're in, but who they are, how they've evolved, maybe they haven't grown with their partner. It's really interesting because again, it's more about them. It's about the women. The women are saying, you know, I really didn't understand, you know, were there red flags? Did I know that my husband would be so unemotional, so unphysical? Did I know that he um, had emotional problems, mental problems? Did I know that he wasn't dependable? Maybe they really didn't know. And for some, there was there were some inklings, but a, a lot of the women say they didn't really understand until time went on who they were with, which happens. Mm, mm, okay. And is there just based on what you've heard, any sort of assessment on like, is there some science between how long it takes to actually get to know someone? Because I've found that, you know, it's not until the honeymoon feeling wears off that you're able to get into that negotiation stage of like, all right, you have this shortcoming in my perception. And can we negotiate around how we navigate that together? Um, So yeah, any feedback you have around like, when do we get to a good sense of if we can choose someone to be with? 
it really isn't always apparent. And I don't know that there's a recipe or a scientific formula for it. But what I can report based on the myriad women with whom I've spoken is that often the tough times in life reveal who you're really with. Mm. So having a child, moving, losing a job, changing profession, um, some a family member struggling, perhaps you know a sibling or a parent, and suddenly they learn really what values the husband or partner has that really would not have been put to the test had there not been this kind of crisis or seismic shift in their lifestyle. Mm. So then that women often feel like they want more, that they long for more. Okay. Um, I know that take, having an affair takes time, just like everything else in our lives. We've got kids, husbands, um, friends, jobs. How do, how do, how are these women balancing the time commitment of the affair and, and how are they hiding them when their schedule is probably so packed in the life that they lead with someone else? Women are really facile at balancing this. And the busier the woman, the better she is at programming the affair into the calendar. So it's really very, it's very impressive that, you know, we are, so, well, first of all, you're right. We're all so super busy right now. But if a woman, the women are very compelled that, you know, like I said, the risk, the reward, and they'll take the risk, this group of women in mm. my study. And they also are able to really make the time. They use almost a splitting mechanism so that, um, you know, one day of the week or however often they see the lover, they are a lover with a lover. And the other parts of the week, they remain dedicated to their children, their husband, maybe, a, you know, an adult sibling. So they keep it all going and they're pretty, you know, riveted. Mm -hmm. They're really, they're really inspired to do that. Okay. And so, I mean, I don't know. It's like we live in a world, I was reading that one in 25 Americans would be considered um, clinically a sociopath where they can't feel feelings. And I'm sure women can compartmentalize, but there's a lot of women that feel maybe shame or guilt at some point kick in. Have you noticed that there's any sort of trend on when that happens, why that happens um, versus the thrill that, that comes at the beginning and maybe they're just following that feeling? By the time these women have an affair, they've been very disappointed mm. in different ways. It's not all the same. Well, I described the four types of affairs. Got it. And so they didn't start out thinking, I wonder when I'll have my first affair. No one walked <laughs> On the aisle saying, gee, I wonder what, what year we'll have this affair. But it's sort of an evolution, you know, it evolves. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that the reason they feel entitled is that they've endured something. Mm -hmm. They've been, as I said before, very disappointed. Now about guilt, 90% of the women in my study, my on this ongoing study, felt guilty. However, some women do say, I don't feel guilty about doing this, but I feel, I feel sorry that I'm doing it to my husband. Mm -hmm. that I'm 
you know, I feel sorry for him, mm-hmm. but not sorry enough to not do it. And not sorry for the action, just sorry that it's a form of betrayal. Mm. It's really notable too. That is really interesting. Um, Okay. So, I mean, I literally cannot, I have so many questions. It's almost like I can't talk. How are these affairs, would you say, I mean, there's so many ways you've described that they're empowering women. I almost feel like judgment on myself. Like, am I hosting a podcast encouraging everybody to have an affair? So I want to understand how do they empower women? And also, how are they hurting women and their marriages if, if you know, you're, you're seeing any trends there? Okay, well, first I want to say, since you're saying about you don't want to encourage anyone, I neither condemn nor condone. I am here to report something that's really more than a trend or a phenomenon, but really if there's a pie of life for women, this is definitely a piece of the pie for more women than we think. Yes, I believe you. And then you're asking, how does it, how does it empower them? Yeah. What are some ways that they feel like you said that they kind of learn what they want from their marriage. They renegotiate the terms. Um, What else is happening? Well, First of all, for the women who choose to do this, it's a very big decision and it changes everything. I mean, no one says, oh, everything's the same. I'm just, I just happen to be having an affair now. Women say that they're very changed and everything about their lives is very changed by the impact of the lover. So it's pretty profound stuff. It's not just a superficial kind of, you know, oh, yes. And so my lover and I, we just, you know, went to Central Park and then to a hotel. It's not like that. It's filled with meaning. And even for the women in the sex-driven affairs where they don't want an emotional connection, it's all about the sex, but sex is a big deal. So we're we're looking at women who have really changed everything by making this decision to have an affair. Okay. And I'm guessing I'm guessing there's some signs. Like you were saying the busy woman is usually the best one at fitting it into her schedule, compartmentalizing. Um yes, yeah, so I'm I'm just curious, like, are there some signs that you would say that's actually feedback that your partner might be having an affair and you might want to bring this up? Well, you know, there's a lot more attention to appearance. A lot of women say they're going to the gym more. They're, you know, getting their hair blown out. They're buying new makeup, some lingerie, you know, all of the like pieces of how we present that meant something a long time ago with, you know, with a husband or a partner, one of the women said, why wouldn't she have an affair when she thought of how her husband was always in a green robe on the couch, channel surfing. So, you know, what we're talking about is women who feel more alive now because of the affair. Mm, Okay. And, um, as far as, you know, um, what the lover offers that the husband doesn't. I know we talked about this sense of novelty or maybe they're opposite of the partner. Do you find that there was any um, information on were they seeking an affair with someone that was actually available to be their partner or did the other, did you see any trends of like, they tend to have affairs with people who just want to be a lover? I would imagine if I went and had an affair, you know, that there might be a trend on like the person I'm choosing, you know, in your data 
they're someone who just wants to be a lover. They don't want a relationship. You know, like, is there any information on who is necessarily being chosen by women to have an affair with what the profile is of this sort of person? There were there was one interview in particular where the woman said that she was so in love with her lover, but when she looked at his lifestyle compared to hers, she realized that he was a lover only because mm. he could have taken all of his belongings and put them into one knapsack and maybe a small carry bag. And she would have needed like three trucks to get her out of the house. And that she knew that they really only fit in the world of lovers mm. <laughs> and that he wasn't for every day. Mm. And that's, that's what made it special for her. That's super interesting. Okay. And, um, as far as leaving a marriage, um, do, do you have any interpretation based on all of your research that if someone was having an affair, it was an indicator that they want to leave their marriage or are they just having an affair because they want to have an affair? Both. Some women feel that the lover is really a bridge to the outside world. Uh -huh. They needed the affirmation of the lover and the experience in order to have the courage to leave the marriage and to understand that while the lover might not be at the other end of the bridge on the road, that he is someone who showed her what she didn't have in her marriage and what she needed for herself. Mm -hmm. So that's really notable. And also, and then, oh, go ahead, please. No, and then you were asking um, for the women who want the affair to just keep going, they go on for years. Wow. So there wasn't like a set timeline and you did see a lot of long ones. A lot of long ones. Yeah. Wow. And did you see anything that tends to make them end? Like, did you hear a lot of stories of women who maybe thought like, okay, because of this, I'm actually got whatever I needed to get out of my system and I'm so happy I have my marriage? Yeah. There's some women who say, wow, this affair just can't go on and I'm ready to go back to my husband. Mm long-standing partner and other women who are bereft when the affair ends. Mm, mm. And I, I also saw that, you know, there's mention of, you know, affairs that differ today than they did in the past. So obviously in the past, we read a lot about men being the one having affairs. Now female infidelity is on the rise. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about these differences that we're seeing and how these affairs are looking from the past? Like you talk about cyber affairs during COVID. So just telling us a little bit more about how these could be set up and look. Well, the, the cyberspace affairs are really interesting because they're very meaningful. And I'm often asked, well, if you're not, if you're not meeting somewhere at some hotel or some empty house together, then is it really an affair? And the litmus test is if you are crossing a line, you know it. If you're confiding to this man, if you're having cyber sex, if you're walking along with a colleague and you know that there's all this like feeling between you, then then that's not, you know, that's not what your spouse or your longstanding partner expects. He expects, a, he doesn't expect that kind of really betrayal. Mm. Mm. So, you know, these are, this is like how it works. I mean, 
so many workplace affairs and during COVID, so many affairs for women of all ages, a disparate group of women said to me that they were so afraid and they thought, wow, are we all, are we going to be okay? And can I get in touch with that guy? I kind of had a crush on at my old job because will the world implode, you know, or also getting to know your partner or husband in ways you never would have known him before the, the working at home effect, mm. the amount of hours spent that made women long for something different. Mm. You know, I, I have some friends in New York city who, you know, they're in a secure relationship. They love their partner, but they're kind of, they'll kind of confide in me like, Oh, I think their friends are hot or I'm kind of attracted to his friend. I get butterflies when he's around. Do you think that these thoughts that they're sharing and externalizing are simply human thoughts? Or do you think that it's an indicator that they're probably in the wrong relationship early on. Like, I know you've written a lot about marriage. So I also have a lot of questions about that. Yeah. Very interested in, in contemporary society's view of marriage, because we're all raised to, you know, believe in everlasting love and that some man will be a prince and come and sweep us off our feet. And that will be an answer. And, you know, obviously we hold the bar very high when it comes to marriage and to husbands. And in all fairness, since women expect the husband to be the best, their best friend, lover, confidant, provider, it's a lot for the men. It really is. So we're looking at marriage as a great hope with tremendous emphasis put on the the success of of a marriage. And many women say they don't want to leave their marriage for reasons, including financial, children, religion, extended family, expectations placed upon them as, as a female in the family and in this, you know, paradigm. And so the lover ends up really being a solution that works. Mm, okay. So you you wrote a book about um, the nine phases of marriage, making it, breaking it, keeping it. I know we've talked a lot about your most recent work, um, your passion for more book and your new podcast, She Wants More. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those phases of marriage? We don't have to go all the way into the nine, obviously, given the limits of our time, but Anything that would be important for you to share, even if as it relates to infidelity or not, just that you think would be helpful for people to take note of? Maybe they're listening. They want some more understanding of where they're at or what they're going through. Well, the nine phases of marriage was, uh, you know, every book that I write, a nonfiction book, is really reflective of what I want to know about and have a hunch about, need to do the research and could not find in the bookstore. So the nine phases of marriage, I pitched to my publisher as the seven phases of marriage. And when I started to interview women and do the research, because my books also have research and reflect pop culture and celebrity culture, um, I got in touch and I said with my editor and I said, listen, you know, divorce and remarriage are really a big part of the marriage experience for women in America. And so it has to be nine phases. So I, I found that really interesting. And there is the idea that there is a love triangle. Um, this is actually Sternberg's theory and that, you know, 
without companionate love, which is longstanding. So there's, you know, this, like we're drawn to, <laughs> excuse me, we're drawn to someone and it's passion. And it and, and that actually goes back to an affair, which is all passion, a passion for more. But, you know, just what, compa what companionate love looks like for the long haul. And my study is definitely about longevity for men and women and how do we stay in these marriages for decades mm -hmm. and and then that goes back to a passion for more where we stay often because we have a lover on the side mm -hmm. but in the nine phases of marriage you know it starts with the romantic notion I even start with you know the engagement mm -hmm. and boot camp for brides and how your wedding is like, you know, your day, the day of being a princess and the hype of the wedding industry and the expectations placed on that, that day. And then how do we evolve? And we really, you know, become child centric in, in a child centric marriage, oftentimes by the, by the third or fourth, you know, phase, because now there are children and you and your husband are a team and the children are everything, which is very much a societal message in America. Mm. And then we move on and we grow together or we grow apart. Mm. And, and that's how we end up with all these different phases. But I even looked at how many couples really stay in the same bedroom over the long haul of a longstanding marriage. And you know, the study indicates that 25% or more of couples have separate bedrooms. So, and then what does that do to a woman who wants an affair? And, you know, affairs, it dovetails because affairs take place with women of all ages. You know, I interviewed women in their 60s, 70s, 80s, as well, of course, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Mm, okay. So I have to ask, um, I just went to a wedding in Mexico for a really dear friend and she's in a polyamorous relationship. So I'm curious if you have any take. I know that a lot of people are opening up their relationship. There's a huge culture in LA and New York of sex parties. I've never been to one, but I have a lot of friends who have gone and talked about it. Do you see these as the modern new way, or do you see these as structures that can prevent um, a divorce. Like, I'm just curious on your genuine take based on your research on, you know, polyamory or open relationships. Open relationships are tricky. Mm -hmm. And it, it really loops back to what I said before about how there will be this one man who will in heterosexual relationships, who will somehow be the answer and will be all, will, will fill all, you know, the checklist is, is, great. And he checks the, and we check and it checks and checks and checks. However, once you open it up to, to the reveal, to saying, look, you know, I, I want to be in, a, I, I want to have you as my husband or partner in a committed relationship, but I want these other relationships and you should do the same thing. It often isn't as, as successful as we think it will be mm. and and it's really opening up what could be very very different dramas than expected mm. 
So maybe he'll fall for someone. Maybe he'll always want her with you. You'll always want to be there. You'll want to be, it will be, you know, a threesome. Whereas affairs that are very much a secret are about a pretense that might protect everyone from the openness and what that can or can't protect. So it's tri- it's all tricky stuff. Yeah. Here to say any of it is easy to pull off, but at the same time that the women in my study are pretty um, smooth at keeping it going for as long as they want. Mm. And I, I saw the, the percent that, you know, 60% in your study, they view their lover as an escape, which makes sense. I mean, we have so much on our shoulders. We're only human. And is there anything I haven't asked you about infidelity, marriage? I'm very curious about your thoughts on just choosing a partner in general, you know, um, that you think might be really helpful for everyone listening who maybe they're thinking like, oh man, my partner's been going to the gym a lot more and they look- Now I'm worried. Now I'm worried, right. So can you just share um, a little bit around selecting a partner or just anything I haven't asked you that you think would be useful for everyone to know before we go? There is a risk in every decision we make with a partner, a friend, a job, having a child, deciding not to have a child, to live here, to live there. You just moved. So you know that, you know, the risk, the rewards, you're learning, you know, the risks, you're learning the rewards. So the only thing that I believe that women do pretty often based on all the research I've done on the role of wife and, and you know, what secrets we keep and the passions we have when we want more is that we don't go into these relationships with our eyes wide open enough. We go with our eyes wide shut Mm. and we hear what we want to hear and we learn what we think we need to know. And it's often really a disservice. So we have to really know who we are as individuals and we have to try to understand as best we can who is this individual whom we're thinking we could share our lives you know i I don't know why this question is coming up but i think a lot of people as they're choosing a life partner they might get feedback from friends and i'm curious what your thoughts are on the weight that that might merit Um, you know, if all your friends don't like your partner or, you know, a few really important friends of yours really don't like them, just don't like their vibe or whatever it is. I'm just curious on what you have to say about that. Well, that brings us to, um, two of my other studies. (laughs) One is called tripping the prom queen, the truth about women and rivalry. And the other is called toxic friends, the antidote for women stuck in complicated friendships. And so that means you'd really have to trust your friends Do they have an ulterior motive? Um, Did someone date this guy many years ago? Did she grow up with him? Did she go to camp with him? Has she met him in the workplace? Is she competitive with you? I mean, you know, your friends weighing in, that has meaning, but it also might have significance. That's separate from the meaning that you trust these friends because you have to understand how your friend has been there for you in terms of other relationships and other opinions. Um, has it been competitive? Has it been really healthy? Right. So, so it's not, so, you know, 
if all your friends say the same thing about this man, do you trust your instincts? Are you just desperate? Is it time to be with someone? Or are you really not listening to your friends? And weirdly, they're quite different in terms of lifestyle and choices. It's not like it's just one group, but are they all saying the same thing? And then you see clearly what they're saying. Or is it maybe your three friends who have always been competitive? So we have to really weigh who the friend is as well as who the person is they're judging. You know, it's funny. It sounds obvious, but it's not. You know, it's like you just think this is my friend versus where is this person at in their life and how do I want to weigh this feedback, which is really important. Are you seeing any qualities in two people that come together in marriage that translate into a more secure, positive, long-lasting relationship um, just based on your research? When people have been together for a while, you know, for more than a year or two, it tends, and this is just anecdotal qualitative research. When I interview women, they seem to be more certain of what they're doing. If they've had enough experiences, if they have really endured something with this person and they've seen the other side, you know, how does he react to a certain situation, a crisis, a time of great joy? Who is this man in terms of how? life plays out. And I I think that's really important too. So you have to trust your own instincts and just remember who the friend is when you ask her to weigh in. Good feedback. Um, I, I think that, you know, it obviously you can't replace time. It takes time to see who someone is. And there's probably a lot of people who, you know, you hear those stories where they found the one and they knew from the beginning. So what are your thoughts on Love at first sight. There's, there are so many ways that we're drawn to someone. But it's important to really not just gaze into someone's eyes, but to listen to his take on women in the workplace, politics, equal pay for equal work. How does he treat his mother? How does he treat female colleagues? Does he have any sisters? What does he have to say about his ex? Because those are real, real indicators of the kind of person he is. Mm. You know, what does he envision in the future? What kind of life does he want? Where does he want to live in the country? So it can't just be that you look at him and think, oh my God, this is it. But that you learn that this is it. Mm-hmm. It's almost and like- again that you know we are raised on fairy tales that tell us you know that this prince will sweep you off your feet, but it's not quite like that. And curiously or interestingly, that brings us back to a passion for more, because when the women meet the lover and they're swept off their feet, or they feel like they're really seen in the self-esteem affairs, or they feel like he could be a boy toy in the empowering affair section, or in the love affair, you just think it's love at first sight, or, you know, the sex-driven affair, you just have to have sex with this man. You only have to do that. You live in this alternate universe. You are not marrying him for the most part. You are not committing to him for the most part even as things evolve. And so there's this liberty to just explore what you want. And that's why the women are so willing to do it. 
because it's all about the exploration and it's not about the daily grind. Got it. I don't know why I've always been such an attachment person. So to me, it's like, where is this going? I have had anxious attachment in the past. Um, now I feel like I've buffered over to more secure attachment, but I, I guess, you know, I'm tempted to say like, how do they not care where it's going? But I guess they're just in a different phase of their life. They already have a husband or longstanding partner. Yeah. It's not, excuse me. It's not an affair if you are not promised to someone else. Right. So okay. that's the freedom of it. And that's why the lover doesn't have to be, that he doesn't have to meet the requirements of a longstanding partner. He has to, he meets the requirements of a lover. If you want sex and the sex is great with the lover, then you're in a sex-driven affair. And that's why, as I said earlier, only the love affairs are dicey and poignant because they're the ones where it gets complicated emotionally. Mm, Okay. And I love what you shared about just like, you can feel like they're right and then you're going to verify it over time. It's like, you might feel a knowing, but taking the time to feel it and the just the difference between a soulmate or whatever you want to call that kind of bond and a life partner, they could be two very different people and two of this two and one, perhaps. Um, I used to mistake deep connections as thinking maybe this could be my life partner. And now I'm like, that's just a really deep connection, but they don't have so many things that I need in a life partnership. Um, okay. Final question is about money. How much did you see money play a role in, cause I know it's a, you know, cited in a lot of research around divorce, but did you see that play any sort of role in affairs? Cause you'd mentioned that woman who was like, I'd never be with this guy. He, you know, doesn't really have a lifestyle compatibility with me or anything like that. So just anything around money, I'm curious about. Money is such a trigger in a capitalistic society. It ha- it creates so many, so many false impressions and so many ways to be motivated that have nothing to do with anything but money. So for um, a young woman who meets an older lover and she, and as we said, the lover and husband are so often the opposite. So the woman who's young and married and meets a very wealthy man who is very happy to have an affair with this pretty younger woman, um, it's alluring. He can give her things. I've interviewed women like that, where the lover just provides so much in terms of what money can buy that the husband can't do, and the family needs the money, and the husband isn't as wealthy. And that works out great. That's a real fantasy. Um, for some women, they stay in a marriage because the husband is such a great provider, but the lover is a poor guy who's a great lover and a great friend, maybe just an incredible emotional connection, but can never pay for her lifestyle. So, and then everything in between, but, but these are extremes where money and a moneyed life really explain a lot of why the woman stays or the woman goes. Mm. And I don't know if you remember, but years ago there was a film, um, with Sarah Jessica Parker and James Kahn, where they meet and he wants, you know, he wants her for a night. I can't remember what it was called. And 
but he's the older man and she's alluring and it's money that will that will pay for her even for a night a fling not an affair so much as a one-night stand and also I think Demi Moore was in a movie like that I I remember there were two movies where where Robert Redford is the alluring older guy who has to have her and she's in love with I think it was Woody Harrelson played her husband but this just reflects what you know what money can do and it definitely is in my book because women talk about it can't leave this marriage because of money mm. can't leave this marriage because of my vows but I can have an affair mm. okay this has been so fascinating I feel like I kept interrupting you because I just got so excited to ask you these it was questions great talking with you yeah, you too. Where can everybody find you, get started with you? I know you have your new podcast, so everyone can check that right. out. So, so She Wants More is the iHeart podcast, and Joe Piazza is the host, and it's inspired by a passion for more. And then, of course, to get in touch with me, um, I'm at SusanShapiroBarish.com, and I'm on social media, and you can we, you know, follow me on any of that, and I love to hear from people. And I have a novel coming out in June under my pen name, Susanna Marin. And of course, my fiction reflects all of my research for my nonfiction about what women really want. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-turns. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.